Efficiency Services Group partners with publicly owned electric utilities to deliver energy efficiency programs and services. ESG serves as an extension of energy services staff, bringing a wealth of skills and experience to provide direct install programs, customer care kits, field auditing and inspections, utility staff training, and reporting for Bonneville Power Administration customers and California utilities. Learn more about how ESG can benefit your energy efficiency organization at EfficiencyServicesGroup.com. That's EfficiencyServicesGroup.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up. Uh, joined by my co-host and editor of Newsday's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our top stories lately. Uh, first, Jason, how are you doing? Doing great, Dan. Good afternoon. It's rainy and cold Indeed. here in Grass Valley, but getting over it. Oh, we are finally getting some beautiful spring weather. And you know, I would tell you about the amazing Mariners-Astros game that mm. my son and I went to this weekend. Uh, nice. where the Mariners had this great eighth inning rally against the Houston Cheaters. I mean, the Houston Astros, <laughs> uh, but I, I want to, yeah, right. Um, but I've got something even better, uh, that I wanted to mention it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, beautiful, sunny day, I was sitting outside earlier, enjoying a cup of coffee and a fascinating article and interview with Vaslav Smil that actually you guys did. Um, yeah, this great interview with one of the world's foremost energy experts, uh, just digging into some great, uh, like really key questions about where the future is headed. Um, spoiler alert, yep. he bags on nuclear fission. Um, Successful failure. Yeah. Yeah. My eight year old will be disappointed to hear that. Mm, right. Smell is not high, big on fusion or fission. He's not down so, yeah. with the nukes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really encourage readers or listeners to go become readers. Uh, but uh, le- listeners, you should go check it out. It's a great interview. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Yolanda Bloxham, our freelancer, had read his latest book, Invention and Innovation, A Brief History of Hype and Failure, and a very outspoken interview. Very interesting. I'm uh, glad you liked it. Yeah, well, thank you for bringing it to us. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing more. It got a lot of attention, so thank God no, I think have... I think you've uh, you think you've set the bar and or planted yeah. a flag. I don't know whatever you know cliche you want to use. I this is mm. I I uh, you know am inspired to be like yeah you know what why not why not interview people like Vaslov's meal we could sure so. Yep. It's a little You've bit inspired out of, me out of our normal territory, but it went very well. So look well, for more. Yeah. I mean, I always say, I think one of the things that we should strive for, and I think that we do um, in our communities, in our regions, really, I, I see our job in large part as, or partially at least a uh, significant part as trying to be like conversation starters for the Northwest, California, Southwest, other areas that we cover. So I think this really goes to the heart of that. Yep. I feel and, like I'm uh, starting to like do a plug for 
coming up. This is, but actually, That's you have right. something to plug. Speaking of plugging news data, I do. yeah, it is our news data Western resource adequacy webinar on June twenty second, twenty third. Resource adequacy has become a major topic for the Western U.S. electric grid. Great lineup of speakers here: Carrie Bentley from Gridwell. We've got Mark Rothleader from Kaiso, Cliff Rechtstoffen, uh, former CPUC, Arnie Olson, bunch of heavy hitters here, Randy Hardy. So check that out. You can find the information at newsdata.com for our June 22nd, 23rd Western Resource Adequacy webinar. And if you sign up for it, listeners, you can hear me leading one of the uh, moderating one of the panel panels on the second day, uh, talking with Randy Hardy, Neil Miller, at um, Vice President of Infrastructure and Operations Planning, and Mike Wilding with Pacific Core, talking about transmission and resource adequacy. How do we cool. make the most of it? How do we get our grid to help us be more resource adequate? I'm guessing more transmission might be one way. In part, dun, dun, I can't. Oh. I can't give it away. You'll just okay. have to tune in. There's Spoilers. a surprise ending. Surprise right. twist. Well, I'll be I'll be eagerly eagerly listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Uh, definitely, yeah, great lineup as always. Yeah. Uh, but so this week, what uh, what stories do you have for us? Okay. Well, I've got a new lawsuit filed against the California Public Utilities Commission over its net energy meeting metering decision. Never been a popular one in the solar community, but they've taken it to the next level. Um, also, some more about interconnection from a workshop last week, uh, reporting by Ann Ernst. And then we'll talk about how California Energy Commission grants are stimulating billions of dollars in private capital. I feel a, a good news story out of the CEC this week. You want to start us off with? Uh, some yeah, well, so just stuff? quickly uh, to let listeners know what they can look forward to from me um so i've got the uh pge is portland general electric electric raising questions about saying basically it's not sure that it can actually hit the state's clean energy mandates in the timeline that the state has given and developers are confident that they can successfully build a nearly 100 mile transmission line, most of it running underneath the Columbia River. But oh. the top story I wanted to talk about this week was one that I just wrote for our latest article about the annual national or Northwest regional forecast that just came out from the Pacific Northwest Utilities Conference Committee, better known as PNUC, another one of these entities that has kind of a boring name, but is actually really, really important. It's like mm -hmm. kind of has a name that you're like, are you trying to be like, you know, low key and not draw attention? Uh, With a boring so name. every year, what's that? With a boring name. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to get an email from Crystal Ball, the uh -oh. head of BNAC, who listeners will probably know from, um, if you listen to power or public power underground, she was a regular, uh, host on that yep so uh they just came out with their annual northwest regional forecast uh, they survey all of the utilities in the region uh, aggregate all their data and give a forecast based on like what 
utilities are actually planning on. So these aren't just, you know, speculation or just modeling, but this is, okay, here's what we actually have in the queue coming in terms of demand and also resource builds or build and developing resources. So, uh, you know, usually in the years that I've covered this, the past few years, the demand forecasts and the seasonal one hour peak forecasts, they're like, oh, you know, it's going to be a 5% rise over the next 10 years, maybe like 0.5% annual growth. Uh, so this year, by 2033, the Northwest is supposed to see a 23% increase in demand compared to this year. Wow. And most of that comes by 2029 and it levels out. And a lot of this does not include like electrification and climate change are just making their way, their way into these forecasts. So mm -hmm. like I said, it, it is a very steep line through 2029. And then after that, the line kind of flattens and looks more like the forecasts we've seen, you know, for the past few years and, and going back you know, even decades because they've been doing this forever. Um, so, I mean, you, I think we have every reason to expect that that sharp increase as, yeah. uh, demand solidifies, you know, in, in the coming years mm -hmm. right now, they feel really confident about what they've got coming five years out, less stuff coming after that. Yeah. I mean, as we approach those five years, we, there's no reason to, Hey, we have every reason to think that that steep line is just going to continue out into the early 2030s as we get closer to it and changes from electrification and climate change uh, start factoring more and more into their demand forecasts. So uh, these these forecasts are pretty even across the seasons. Uh, so we're seeing similar similarly steep uh, in expected increases in winter and summer peak demand. Summer peak, peak demand is rising faster than winter peak, but it's still lower than the winter peak. Hmm. Uh, most of this is being driven by industry as well as some, to some degree, a little bit of electrification, but uh, also the gains in the summer peak are driven by in, increase also, uh, not just in the industrial, but um, greater heating degree days. So more days the people are gonna be turning on the air conditioning. Uh, yeah, short. So, I mean, it is some like bonkers numbers. So if they, based on the resource uh, portfolios today, if they didn't build anything out, uh, we would be looking at an 11,000 megawatt capacity shortfall in the summer. Eek. 9,500 megawatts in the winter. Now, this does include, the forecast does include uh, resource, new resources that are like planned, permitted, cited, you know, in construction, the, those, you know, basically that's not just a, oh, we're going to do an RFP at some point. Uh, so yeah. with that in mind, the summer shortfall is going to be a little bit less, uh, but we're still looking at a pretty big uh, shortfall of, you know, a few thousand megawatts yeah, uh, do, 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 yeah, and I mean, so much larger numbers than than what we saw just last year. A little concerning, I must say. And uh, this follows, you know, the FERC commissioner's 
last week before Congress warning about blackouts and we have our problems here in California. I just have to sort of wondering, it's a little bit discouraging here, um, why we can't get this grid up to snuff, you know? Uh, yeah, indeed. I mean, I will say ultimately, you know, if no matter what the demand is, if the grid can't keep up, I mean, that's just right. going to slow down demand. It's not like people are going to build buildings that they can't you know, run electric electricity to. So you have to wonder, like, if we if the power industry can't keep up, well, does that just mean we electrify at a slower pace or are we able to yeah, expand it to keep up with that demand for electricity that's growing? Yeah, it's just raises questions about quality of life. And, you know, it's hard to have a functioning economy without electricity. So there's all kinds of ramifications <laughs> of this. To, to say the least. Uh, yeah. yeah. There was an article in New York Times over the weekends talking about this very issue, but attributed to one thing only, that was climate change. No discussion of transmission, resource adequacy, planning decisions. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say, as a former newspaper reporter, newspaper reporters do some great work. They do the best they can. And there are some great energy reporters out there at newspapers. But yeah. it is one of these things where, you know, you wish... A, what a quarter of newspaper newsroom jobs have been cut in the last 10 years or 15 years, uh, yeah. according to new data from Pew Center, I think. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, you know, you wish, I wish they had the headcount to have more dedicated energy reporters because this is stuff that really needs to be out in the general conversation to a greater degree. Yeah. Um, Ivan Penn, one of the reporters here who's, very well known and a great reporter. Um, I think that I just found this to be a very simplistic take on it. You know, just the sweeping climate change has an impact, wildfires, et cetera. But anyhow, not to criticize other reporters, but yeah, uh, this is obviously a growing issue, especially in the West. And, um, how are we going to electrify? transportation, yeah. et cetera. But we'll we see. Uh, just quickly, I'll put in a plug. Uh, support your local newspaper. Support quality news outlets. We get the news that we're willing to pay for. We get the, the quality of the news is what we're willing to pay for. Mm -hmm. So speaking of how we're going to support that, you know, one thing is net, net metering. Oh, yes. People are probably familiar with this issue. Uh, speaking of mainstream energy issues, um, Yes, the decision from the California Public Utilities Commission in December, which approved revisions to the state's net energy metering tariff, I won't get into the changes, suffice to say it did cut the payback for solar owners, but the lawsuit was filed in uh, a California court by Center, Center for Biological Diversity, Environmental Working Group, and Protect Our Communities Foundation, saying the PUC disregarded state law when it updated those rules did not adequately um look at the 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 benefits um and focusing on the cost shift they don't like the avoided cost calculator which is used to estimate the benefits of the distributed generation 
So, and also places a lot of blame on for-profit utilities saying they launched public campaigns against rooftop solar disputing and they're just it's a false narrative now this i find this interesting they say the the cost shift is just a false narrative i don't personally think that is the case am i should i be editorializing here but i I did an editorial on this but uh there's many people that that have researched and um believe the cost shift argument it does make a lot of sense and that argument being that lower income people that don't have solar are subsidizing higher income people that do have solar. And, you know, we know the story you have. If you have an EV and a Tesla battery and solar on your rooftop, you know, you're not living in a apartment down in Sacramento. You're probably in a nice house. So, but this lawsuit, um, also they said that they contravened the state's legislature's mandate that the commission ensure the continued sustainable growth of distributed energy resources. And the CPUC has made the installation of new solar economically unattractive. So there we go. Speaking of clean energy, you've got some more on us from from uh, yeah. PGE. Yeah. So PGE just came out, and I'll make this quick because I just uh, looked at the the clock here, and I, I don't want to keep listeners okay. too much longer. Uh, so PGE Portland General Electric uh, just filed their integrated resource plan for the year with the with the Oregon regulators and they're saying uh, they need 3,000 to 4,000 megawatts of non-emitting resources to meet customer demands and reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 80 percent from baseline levels by 2030. Uh, Now the state's target is to be zero emissions by 2040 right and PGE says it does not believe that it can reach that with current technology and transmission that's available today. Yikes. Yeah. So there you mm. go. So good morning. Nice <laughs> <laughs> quote in here. Once you get up to 2040 and you remove those natural gas plants, assuming no refueling, assuming that they only can emit carbon and thus are not in use for sales to retail customers. These gaps in generation are just too big. Seth Wiggins, yeah. PGE, PGE, not PGE, PGE. So yeah, lots of work to do there. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, one thing that's slowing it down is the transmission interconnection queue uh, process. Right. You've got a story about delays in that. Speaking of, yes. Updates and upgrades are needed to the existing transmission network. Capacity additions and improvements in interconnection must be accelerated to meet the state's clean energy goals. This was a workshop hosted by the California Energy Commission, also involving other state agencies. A lack of planning and action to approve sufficient new transmission capacity to support the state's growing resource needs has slowed the process for developers. Utility representatives at the meeting said it can take six years for a developer to work through the interconnection process with permitting delays the biggest hurdle. The lengthy process prompts developers to get in the queue as a way to increase their chances of getting a project to the implementation stage. But as we know, there's a high withdrawal rate. Um, so we have a long queue. This is something we've been writing about for quite a quite a while now. Um, yeah. And some, you get some, what is this from Neil Miller, who's going to be on that panel with me. Yep. Um, 18,000 megawatts of interconnection requests to a single substation. 
That's insane. Uh, yeah, that is crazy. But we know how this works. Uh, most of these projects will never get built. So you end up yeah, spending indeed. millions of dollars and lots of time in interconnection studies. So that process obviously needs some reforms, but Kaiso does have some reforms in the works that they're working on. Yeah. We'll hopefully alleviate that, particularly the cluster 14, cluster 15 that we hear about. Indeed. So well, you've been writing about it and you mm -hmm. will continue to see or cover those changes. So hopefully yes. we'll be reading some good news about that. Stay tuned. Yeah. And speaking of transmission lines. Yeah. Speaking of those. Uh, so our segues are just on point today. They are. They are. We got yeah. a good segue. Our segue game today is high. Like mm -hmm. um, okay. So the, uh, a couple Regulatory bodies were looking this week at, or actually, no, I'm sorry, the Oregon Infra Energy Facility Siting Council uh, had two sessions looking at a proposed 100-mile transmission line, uh, high-voltage DC line capable of moving 1,100 megawatts, running for 100 miles connecting into Portland. 83 miles of those are going to, would run under the Columbia River riverbed. Wow. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting project. $1.5 million estimated price to, or billion dollar. I'm sorry. $1.5 billion yeah. estimated price tag. The developers though, Cascade Renewable Transmission Project, say they are very uh, confident that they can pull it off. And so another one, mm -hmm. stay tuned. We'll be covering it. Uh, come back here. This is a big investment. And I hear you've got a story about investments down in California. Yes, I do. The California Energy Commission justified the 1.1 billion in funding it's allocated over the past decade. CEC puts out a lot of money, um, mostly through the Electric Program Investment Charge or EPIC Program. CEC Chair Dave Hoskchild called EPIC, quote, the garden bed for new clean energy technology, unquote, to reach the state's goals faster and at lower cost provides validation for early stage technologies that are often deemed too risky for private investment. So according to the CEC, that program has funded 474 projects and the companies in that portfolio have raised more than 10.5 billion in private investment and commercialized more than 70 technologies. Quite, quite impressive if you think about it and exactly what these programs are intended for. Uh, building decarbonization received the most, 249 million. Zero emission transportation received the least at 86 million. Also funded were efforts in industrial and agricultural innovation, resiliency and safety, grid decarbonization and decentralization, and development of a, quote, clean energy entrepreneurial ecosystem, unquote. Uh, that, that is a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there are a few projects like this, like the microgrid at the Blue Lake Rancheria Casino in Humboldt County, um, and another at Marine Corps Air Station Miramar that shed six megawatts of load to help avoid blackouts during the September heat wave. Right. So yeah, some good news. I think, um, you know, Energy Commission, the, you don't hear a lot about this program among the general public, but it's big money. It's big money. 10.5 billion moving things forward here one step at a time well 
And uh, yeah, we'll, you know, California energy markets, you guys will be covering the, uh, how those investments pan out. So mm-hmm. stay tuned, dear listeners. Well, that's it for me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen or pass it along to a friend. Uh, you can find me on Twitter for the time being. We'll see. I'm at D Catchpole and Newsdata is on at CU Newsdata. California Energy Markets is on Twitter at CEM Newsdata. That's the letter CEM Newsdata. I'm on there too at Fordney Energy. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you back here next week.